Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zivi. I'm the host, Zivi Owens. I am an author. My latest is blank, pub date March 1st, a novel. I'm also a podcaster, obviously, a publisher, a bookstore owner, and so much more. If you love books, you're in the right place. In fact, we call it the Zivyverse, or really, the LA Times called it the Zivyverse, and we're going with it. Go to ZivyOwens.com to learn more and follow me on Instagram at ZivyOwens. Donna Hemmons is the author of The House of Plain Truth, a novel. This is one of our Zibby books. I met Donna when she came on my podcast. Actually, that's not even true. I met Donna at a lunch, a media lunch for Red Hen Press, which is where her previous book was published. I went down somewhere in like the 20s or something for a lunch in this dark boardroom type library-ish room I didn't with about 10 other people. And I met her there and was just enchanted by her and loved the beauty of her writing in Tea by the Sea. I had her on my podcast for that book. And when we got the submission for her next book, I was like, oh my gosh, I love Donna. So we read it. It's gone through a lot of changes and it is absolutely beautiful. If you haven't read it yet, you must pick this book up. It was included in The Roots' Most Anticipated Books by Black Authors for 2024, among other roundups and has gotten attention from Oprah Daly and others. It's called The House of Plain Truth, and the cover was designed by our own Grasa Tito. Donna Hemmons is the author of two previous novels, River Woman and Tea by the Sea, which won the Lingnam Vitae Una Marsan Award. Her short fiction and essays have appeared in Electric Literature, Ms. Magazine, and Crab Orchard Review, among others. She is also the owner of DC Writers Room, a co-working studio for writers based in Washington, D.C., Born in Jamaica, she lives in Maryland and received her undergraduate degree in English and Media Studies from Fordham University and an MFA from American University. 
Welcome, Donna. Thank you so much for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Last time you were here for Tea by the Sea, like 100 years ago, and now you're back as a Zibby Books author for the House of Plain Truth. Welcome. Sure. Thanks for having me. Of course. <laughs> I never would have imagined back when we first met at that, what it, was it, Red Hen Luncheon or something? Is that what it, and then- Right. Yeah, it was a luncheon. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, wow, she is such a good writer. This is amazing. And like- Life has just unfolded in such a bizarre way. I was I had no plans to be a publisher. Here we are together. It's great. Anyway, tell listeners, please, what The House of Plain Truth is about. So The House of Plain Truth is a story about family secrets, um, which are triggered when Pearlene decides to go back to Jamaica to help take care of her sick father. And as he is on his deathbed, he asks her two things, one of which is to find her siblings who had been left behind in Cuba 60 years earlier. And the second is to be his memory. And so Pearlene has to figure out how those two things are connected. Interesting. So Donna, how did you come up with the idea for this book? And I know it has shifted a bit since we first read it and all that, but when you first came up with the characters and the ideas and everything, what were you going for? What what, what, what drove this whole process? So, um, you know, I didn't really know. There's a lot of Jamaicans who went to Cuba in the, you know, like late, in the early, well, between 1900 and 1930, somewhere in that time frame. And my grandparents were among those who went to Cuba. But, you know, like as a child, I knew that, that they had lived in Cuba, that some of my uncles and aunts were born in Cuba before they came back to Jamaica. But I didn't know anything at all about the story, you know, exactly why my grandparents went, what their experiences were like in Cuba, and what made them decide to come back to Jamaica. So that's where this whole idea started. I you know, my grandparents died, my grandmother when I was 16 and my grandfather when I was about 19 or 20. And so by the time I was, you know, of that age where I was really looking at and looking for family stories in a way that was much more than just sitting around and talking, but getting that deeper connection and meaning, my grandparents were long gone. So I couldn't ask the questions that I would have asked as a, you know, like 20, 30 year old. And so I, you know, wanted to in some ways give them a story or at least to basically understand what their experience was like. So that, you know, really drove this this book. And then the second part of it was that my grandmother I had heard had a brother who went to Cuba and just never came back to Jamaica. And so I, you know, was just trying to understand what would that really be like to just no longer have that connection with a relative who, you know, I just for all intents and purposes, just disappeared. So, you know, there was a lot of that that came out in this book and in Pearlene's story. Interesting. So did you end up uncovering any more about your own family and any potential family lines in Cuba? Not really the family lines in Cuba, no, but um, I have got bits more. I think once, you know, I start asking and probing, I get a little bit more information from my uncles but and my father, but nothing... Not much, nothing concrete, because, you know, I think they were young. And I think there's also there's so much that I think older generations just simply either didn't talk about and didn't give like all the details that, you know, I I would certainly ask or want to ask about today. Well, it's interesting that it came from your grandparents. And then Perlene is a grandmother herself in this book and has to wrestle with her born family, biological, you know, what is that, family of origin with her own children and grandchildren 
in the present day. And who, you know, as part of this whole sandwich generation, I hate that term, but I don't know what else to say. When you have parents and kids Mm -hmm. and grandkids and you're trying to care for everybody, you know, Perlene does something which I thought was amazing where she's like, you know what, I'm going, I'm going to go to Jamaica and you guys will be fine, but I have to see my dad one last time. So tell me about that and that decision and where that all came from and what it feels like to be in that spot. And maybe two different things or maybe even more. But I think part of it is that, you know, like so many immigrants from the Caribbean and probably from everywhere else move to America or wherever they go with the idea that they're going to work and they're going to go back and then have this lovely life in, you know, their home country. And I think that one of the things I've certainly seen, you know, with my own, my uncles and aunts who have lived here for, you know, I, I don't know, 50 years or however long, is that there is no going back for them. Mm-hmm. Their friends are, have all moved on. There is nobody in their, you know, like hometowns, you know, where would they go? What would they do? And so most people just simply don't, but I shouldn't say most, a good number of people who wanted to go back just never end up going back. So I think that was the first part of it, that I wanted to write about somebody who went back home. And I think to a lot of the stories that we read about migration, it's usually the other way. It's the person coming to America as opposed to the person going back home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wanted to, you know, look at that story in a somewhat of a different light. So I, I think, you know, what was interesting, though, is that this part of it, this this business about going back came about, you know, like around 2016. And I, you know, I was just writing something about a woman who went back to Jamaica and, you know, I had no idea who this person was. But as I was writing it, I said, this feels like Perlene. This mm. feels like this woman in this book I had been trying to write about for I don't know, 10, 15 years at that point, And I had set the book aside. And so once I got that piece with her actually going back to Jamaica, the story really fell into place. So I just knew that's where she needed to be. This is who was telling the story. And this is how this book is just going to work. Wow. And then it was off to the races. So when you had that idea, tell me about a little more about the process of bringing those sections together, but also how you develop character and how you write and and infuse your sentences with the beauty that they have and yet also maintain the plot and all that. So what happened then? Like, take us through the the play-by-play of what happened with the manuscript at that point. Yeah, at that point, I had had, I, I don't know how many versions, there are way more versions than I can count or even want to count of this book. So at that point, once I figured out that Perlene had to tell her own story, mm-hmm. I had to go back and figure out what needed to be in that story. What did she know and how could she tell it? So one of the things that I wanted to do certainly was tell a portion of the, their family story that happened in Cuba. Perlene was three years old. There is only so much that she, one, truly could remember. And there is only so much that her parents probably would have talked about. So a part of the process was just going back and culling through, you know, like what I had, reshaping it, recasting it so that Perlene could tell the story or her father or she could tell what her father knew and become his memory as he asked of her. And, uh, you know, the it's it's hard, I think, for me as a writer to go back and really look at and think through how everything works. Mm-hmm. And somehow it, it really comes together. And it sometimes it's a lot of you know, cutting and pasting and throwing things out. I have a little file called The Sink. And <laughs> that's where I drop everything into the sink. And then I go back and I move it back into the document. <laughs> 
So it's a lot, it's a lot of that, just moving it back and forth and figuring out, you know, like what really fits uh, where. And if it doesn't fit, figuring out if it will fit in something else as opposed yeah. to getting rid of it altogether. Yeah. <laughs> like this paragraph is so great. Where can I put this? <laughs> Where can I put it? Yeah. So I kind of worry that, you know, when I move things like that, I might end up writing a completely different book and lifting something that I forgot I put in another book. So, you know, in case anybody hears the same thing somewhere else, this is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really like plagiarize yourself, right? No, I mean, there is that. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. We'll find out. <laughs> Part of this book really examines what home even means, right? Home to Perlene yeah. in Brooklyn, home in Jamaica, what it means to come home, her father's sense of home, going back home, as you say. Talk a little bit ab- about that and, and how everyone defines home and where you see the role of that in this book. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that I think I'm trying to define for myself. Where is home? You know, and I think as somebody who has lived in Jamaica, who has lived here in two different countries, there really is a sense of, you know, where do you belong? There are some times when I go back to Jamaica and I feel like, you know, I, I have no idea what's happening or why we do things a certain way. And then there are times when I'm here and I'm asking the same question. <laughs> so, you know, there there are lots of little things that we don't often think about in our day to day that really define home. And I think that's what Perlene finds when she goes back to Jamaica, that there is so much that her sisters have accepted and that they do. And there is this house that they have all lived in and that you know, is home to her, but her sisters don't necessarily have the same kind of interest in holding on to this house. So is that home? Is it this physical place? And if you get rid of this place that you've known, does that mean that you no longer have a home? Have you lost it? And, you know, so that I think is part of it. The other part is for Perlene, because her family has been in multiple places in Cuba, back in Jamaica, and then she in New York, a lot of it really comes back to wanting this place that is always hers and which nobody can, you know, tell her, you know, you have to go. This is ours. And no matter who you are in the family, no matter what it is that you have done, there is this place that will always welcome you. And that's what Perlene wants. That's what she thinks her parents had wanted. Um, And I think that's what all of us really want. In some place, you know, there is this place, whether it's the family members, you know, your parents or your siblings or some other friend who you have found, who you consider family, who will always welcome you. And so I, I think in some ways, that's what Perlene is searching for. That's what she wants. And she's fighting with her sisters to, I guess, in some ways to understand, for them to understand that, you know, it's it's not just a place. It's not just a, you know, an old house. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love how you wrote about the sisters. And, you know, it's so hard to characterize those intimate family relationships and the fights that you get and all of that. But how you depicted three, you know, women of a certain age still kind of getting into it. You know, I was breaking up a fight with my kids this morning and like the idea that they'll be going through this, you know, for decades, it's like, oh my gosh, seriously? And yet here you have these sisters who are not in the same way. I mean, I hope it wasn't about, you know, watching a YouTube video or something, but still bickering and and having differences of opinion. And then who is left to moderate that? Who Who... When there's no one left to sort of referee, how do these big conflicts get resolved? And it's such an interesting question. Yeah, it is. I mean, you, I guess they are the adults now. They have to resolve it. Yeah. (laughs) The funny thing, I was talking to one of my nieces the other day and she is 21 and she said, you know, she is now 
the adult. You know, she is the one who has to begin to start looking at and figuring out how to take care of because, you know, she's 21. And, you know, it's just this interesting way of looking at life that, you know, somebody has to be the one in charge at some point. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to, you know, think or start thinking that, you know, it's time to, you know, set aside everything and give it over to somebody else. But, you know, you know, it's, it's a part of life. That's where it is. Mm -hmm. And the parents are gone in this case, the children are not necessarily there yet to, you know, because Perlene's daughter is still in a, in Brooklyn at that point. And, you know, she's not there to step in to try to help to, you know, like solve that crisis. And they're, so the sisters have to do it themselves. But hopefully, you know, if it had continued in some way, you know, I got bigger, hopefully the children would have been able to step in. But who knows? Yeah. Maybe not, you know, some fights you don't want to get into. That's true. And actually, I probably shouldn't even be refereeing at this age anyway. I feel like that's the parenting <laughs> advice is like, let your kids sort it out. But I don't know. I'm really bad at that. But Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Anyway, wait, so Donna, tell me about more of your life story. So when did you leave Jamaica like what happened? You were born and then what happened? Yeah, I was born. I grew up in Jamaica. I left when I was 16. I, you know, finished high school. So it's, I, I guess it's one of those stories where my parents came to, came here in the sixties, went to college here. My oldest sister was born here. Then they went back to Jamaica. And I think it was just one of those things where, well, we have one child who, you know, is going back to America to finish her college education. You know, we have to, these two other children, what do we do with them? So I, I think a lot of it was probably more of that kind of a story. So I, you know, finished high school, came here, went to college and just stayed. You're so dismissive of it. That's, it's an interesting story. There are probably 8,000 stories in that story, but that's, there yeah. probably are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you, I know you said you look at things in Jamaica and then you look at things here critically and neither system is really perfect. How did you feel then? Do you feel much more of a sense of belonging to either place now? Did you feel like you belonged to Jamaica when you lived in Jamaica, when your family had been in the United States? Like, just how has that shifted over time for you? 
I think it fluctuates. There are times, you know, when I'm in Jamaica, I feel like this is exactly where I need to be and where I belong. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, maybe go to the bank and try to do some business. And I realize like, you know, okay, there are things, there are ways to do things better. And, you know, then I come back here and, you know, everything feels like, okay, this is where I need to be. So it it depends. It depends on where I am and what it is that I, I need. But I think what I have decided or have figured out is that wherever I am at that moment is where I need to be. I, you know, I don't know that I have any other answer for that or any other way to. No, that's perfect because that's like the whole Zen goal, isn't it? Like be where your feet are and all that. So you, you've like, yeah, there you go. You already crushed it. Without even knowing it. Without even knowing it. Yeah. Zen master Donna. When did writing come into the picture? I think it was always there in some ways. I started writing. I know definitely in high school, I, you know, would enter any competition that they had, any writing competition. And then in undergrad, I, you know, I had this grand idea that I was going to be a lawyer and I was going to go out and save all the people who needed to be saved from, you know, like everybody else. And so, you know, that was a plan. So I went in, you know, thinking, all right, let me just major in English because that's a good foundation for this law career I was going to have. And took a you know, creative writing class, started, added journalism as my dual major and started, you know, took a creative writing class and I liked it. So I started writing, wrote some more. And um, once I graduated, started working in journalism and I, then I started writing what was my first, you know, book, um, River Woman. And I realized that I knew I had a story. I didn't know exactly how to write this book or how to tell the story and, you know, decided, okay, it's time to leave New York and move to grad and go somewhere and do um, go to grad school so I can write this book. So that is pretty much how I started writing, how I got here. Not everybody who realizes they have a story decides to go to grad school, right? That's a a conscious, obviously, choice. So why why go? Why did you decide to do it? And did you feel like you learned certain things there that have really helped you? Or was it the community? Or was it a little of everything? I think it's a little of everything. The community mostly, but you know, because I, I was around journalists, and you know, they were interested in a completely different kind of story. Which you know, while it served its purposes, it was not what I wanted to do or needed in order to write this novel. But I think the thing that I got most out of a creative writing program was not so much about learning how to write, but more about learning how to read. Because I had to be able to step away from the book, read it, understand it, but step away from it or pull myself away from it in order to revise it. And I think that you need to be able to read and read critically or read read in a different way. Because I think, you know, in high school and stuff, when you read literature, they're, you know, talking about theme and, you know, what did the writer mean and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. But it doesn't necessarily help you when you're trying to write, because if you are thinking too much about theme, you're not thinking about plot, you're not thinking about your characters. And so I think I needed that graduate program to be able to to read other people's work and by doing that, figure out and understand how to read my own work critically. So, you know, I, I think without that experience, I don't know where I would be. I'm sure I would be writing still, but, you know, I don't know that I would be here in this place. On the Zoom right now. Who knows? I might be, you know, I don't know. I've gone on and become a lawyer. I don't know. (laughs) For listeners who aren't familiar with your previous 
works. Can you talk about the River Woman and Tea by the Sea? So River Woman is set in Jamaica, and it's about a woman who is about to migrate and her son drowns. And so it really is about how she and the community deal with the death of this child. And uh, I've been trying to not kill people in the books that I write, but, you know, that hasn't happened yet. And um, Tea by the Sea is uh, about a young woman who whose child is taken from her at birth. And she spent 17 years looking for her daughter. We know at the outset of the story that the father has taken the child. So it really is just her trying to find the father and trying to understand, one, why he took her child. And, you know, I hope, you know, and her hope is to develop a relationship with her daughter. Have you read The Leftover Woman by Jean Kwok? just came out recently. No, but no I haven't. It's, it's, you know, different, but similar, similar right. themes, the search for family and giving up a child and all of that. Anyway, you might like it. Okay. Okay. Your book recommendation of the day. There you go. (laughs) Are you working on anything now? I am. You know, one of the benefits of, I guess, having all these projects that you set aside is that (laughs) I can always go back in and pull one out of the drawer and work on it. So the book I'm working on now is another one. It's actually the second book I started writing and, you know, for some reason just couldn't quite figure out how to tell the story as well as I wanted to tell it. And now I think I have finally figured it out. So I am hoping to finish it up soon. Oh, exciting. Well, better that you take it out of the drawer, I think, than taking it out of the sink, right? Is that better? (laughs) Well, you know, but I like both. I mean, the drawers, the drawers where the the stories that are fully formed go. The sink is the bits and pieces that don't quite work, you know. (laughs) From the drawer in the sink could be like a a blog or something. You know what I mean? Just like. Yeah, it could be, yeah. uh, It would be fun to do like some sort of Twitter account where people just put sentences that they haven't found a place for, but that are great sentences. You know, uh, yeah, actually, yeah, that that's, that's a great sentence. Yeah, what a, what, great, a, yeah. what a fabulous first line of a novel. Then <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I can't use this. What about you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, here, take it. Well, what do you like to read in your spare time? Well, lately, I've been reading just a lot of Caribbean fiction. You know, because I have embarked on a project to fully, you know, try to understand a little bit more about Caribbean literature, and you know, it has been fun. Um, So the last book I read was the Book of Lost Saint. And I can't remember the name of the author right now because I don't remember names. But um, (laughs) really, it was a really interesting book. And, you know, I I highly recommend it. It's, you know, he pulled in a lot of, you know, like ghosts and, you know, in order to pull together a modern day story with a story about what happened during the Cuban Revolution. So it was, you know, really fascinating and interesting book. Wow. Amazing. What advice do you have for aspiring authors? I would say to read and read and read and read a lot. And also to to not give up on your stories. There are times, yes, when you may have to set something aside. But I think coming back to it when you're either in a different place or you have really been able to look at and think about it in a different way can be helpful. I think it helps. I, you know, I have heard a lot of people say, oh, no, that's dead. I will never look at it again. But I think sometimes you can take that time, step away from it and still find the beauty in it and figure out how to retell the story in a way that works. I love it. Is there anything from Jamaica that you miss in particular? A food, a smell, a a place, just something that you're like, if only I could just import, you know, have that be here, then like, I don't know. The beach. 
the VG. <laughs> that would be nice. One. But yeah, I mean, we call them Odaiji apples and I can't remember. There's another name for it, but it's a little red apple with the, you know, like fully white inside. And it's just absolutely delicious. And I, the last few times I went, it was out of season. So I haven't had any. And it's, you know, it's, I have figured out how to tie my trips in order to get there for certain fruits, but not always. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. The airlines should maybe uh, do a better ad campaign, you know. <laughs> yeah, they should actually. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> not a bad idea. All right. Well, Donna, congratulations. Thank you. I'm so excited to be a part, a small part of the journey of bringing this beautiful story into the world, House of Plain Truth. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. More to go. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Bye. All right. Bye, Donna. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 